Thank you for listening to this Podcast One production. Available on Apple Podcasts and Podcast One. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Episode 11 of the Snyder Cut. I am your host, Jeff Snyder, at The Inn Snyder. You know it. You love it. You're here. Thank you very much. I do appreciate it. Remember to uh, rate, comment, subscribe, all those other things you're supposed to do with podcasts, wherever podcasts are found. Um, let's dig. Let's, let's dive in. We're going to have a, a guest, I'm pretty sure. Uh, not, not a celebrity, unless you want to count John the Outlaw Roca as a celebrity. Uh, but he did want to um, offer his takes on, on Joker and, and, and Parasite. And there's some like interesting parallels between those two movies, which I was not really prepared for. I did see Par- uh, Parasite last night, and it was very good. So I'm looking forward to talking about that with John when he is you know, eventually in the room. Uh, but I think that the first thing that we that I want to talk about today is Catwoman. They're uh, the GWW Geeks Worldwide, you know, which you know they they break some stuff, but they also you know get some stuff wrong from time to time. They uh, did a short list for Catwoman in the Batman, and I got to tell you, I don't love any of these candidates. They said that uh, the, that those uh, who are on the short list include Lupita Nyong'o. And we're not on camera, John, so you don't oh, have okay, to wave right, to the camera. Sorry. This is just audio only. John Roca is in the house. Hello, everyone. Um, oh, then you can talk about this Catwoman yeah. thing with us. It's Lupita Nyong'o, mm-hmm. Tessa Thompson, Gugu Mbatha-Ra, Alexandra Shipp, yeah. and Logan Browning. And we had a kind of candid conversation uh, between ourselves yesterday. I don't we know how, if we'll be as candid on this podcast. <laughs> um, but yeah, I don't I don't love any of these choices. I like Lupita is just a hard no for me. Okay. I'm sorry. I just do not see her as Catwoman. Okay. I respect Matt Reeves' decision to to cast a, a an actress of color as Catwoman, sure. Um, but not seeing it there, Gugu Mbatha-Ra, I Again, I don't see it. I, I think she's a very good actress. I think she's solid, but okay. the, Catwoman. There's a certain sexiness mm-hmm. to the character. Maybe that's just how you know young Jeff saw it, thanks to Michelle Pfeiffer, mm-hmm. uh, and certainly Anne Hathaway later on, but. Um, and, and even Arthur Kitt. But yeah, Google of Atherod doesn't have that for me. Logan Browning is just not at Catwoman level at all. She, you know, I saw her in The Perfection, which was okay. Mm-hmm. I didn't think it was uh, anything super impressive. Alexander, Alexander Shipp is someone who has impressed me more and more. But again, not, not at the level of cast them as a gigantic role in a gigantic franchise. Like okay. the only, That makes the only two possibilities, Lupita and Tessa. I, I already said Lupita is a no. So Tessa it would probably be my favorite for me mm-hmm. on this list, but she just feels like she's had so many shots between you know the Thor movies and Men in Black, and mm-hmm. I just see her everywhere. Aren't you? Don't you think it's like overkill? Uh, yeah, like for overexposed. Me, well, who for for Tessa? Tessa I, I think Tessa is the one that is like immediately you think of these five. Tessa these would five. be the easiest choice. I agree with you because a she's already established and been in a couple of franchises. Uh, she's well known. She's absolutely beautiful, uh, and she can play sexy and smart at the same time. I, I agree with that, and I think she is the sexy sac- actress of these five. Right, and you get, the, and of course, sexy is like subjective there's more to term. the yeah, there's, there's more, more there's, to there's, it. Of obviously, course. there's more to the role. Yes, right. And Michelle Fiverr has certainly proved that, but and, it's an and element. Hathaway proved and that. And to deny that it's not yeah. an element is yeah. is to not be truthful with yourself. Yeah, like sh- movies a, have been selling sex since the the fifties and sixties. Well, it's on both sides. Show me a fat Superman. Show me a right. fat Batman. Right. Show you know, show me fat Deadpool. It doesn't happen. Right. So it's like, okay, there's a certain kind of sexiness. Uh, and I don't mean fat like to fat. I mean like, you know, this is what studios go for. This yeah. look. Both, on a both look, sides exactly. of the fence. It's look. not like there's sex scenes in the Batman. Right, I, right, pro- right. Probably not. It's a look that they're going for. And so you look at this situation and go, okay, who are the five? But here's the deal. I, I don't think Lupita fits because I think Lupita is going to be really tied to the Black Panther stuff. And I, I think there's more to do with that Nokia character of hers. Uh, I, I, Gugu Mbutha-Ra is a fantastic actress. It's an interesting choice. It's more of a cerebral choice. She gives off that more cerebral energy naturally, uh, so I don't know if the I don't know what she can do with it sexually or you know seductive wise. I haven't seen anything like that from her uh, before. Uh, but uh, Alexander Ship, I'm not 
100 They're young. On this her, her and Browning are but young. Logan Browning is a choice I like, and oh. it's an outside-the-box choice because, A, those eyes of hers kind of can be a little oh, cat-like. The, the light eyes. Yeah, yeah, the light eyes totally work. I think she's a young, driven, hardcore, hungry actress that could really step into this role and give Pattinson something to play off of, and then also her having something to play off with, obviously, with Pattinson, but it could show that she could step up to the plate and go toe-to-toe with Robert. I have no doubts that she could do And she exudes the sexuality that you need, but also like this kind of steel spine of the youth, and I like that. So I, I'd be of the five. That's the one that I would go to I, because you got a younger Batman. I wish Cleopatra Coleman was on this list. I really liked her. She's the mm. the, the killer in the, in the Shadow of the Moon. Oh um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Who was just she's on you know I think Last Man on Earth or whatever. Mm-hmm. Tessa definitely has like the Eartha Kit vibe oh, though, totally. don't you think? Yeah, like if that's what Reeves is going for. Tessa's I, more mature, more control, more in control of her world. I would just, I would just want Reeves to like bring in you know to look elsewhere. I think there's mm-hmm. a lot of talented, young, talented actresses of color out mm-hmm. there. Um, not sure I see Catwoman on on this list of five. If Zendaya wasn't already tied up with Spider Man, would she you would look be, at Zendaya? Yeah. Okay. I, again, I don't know what the vision is for Catwoman. Is, is, is it is it you know an actress who's going to be uh, covered in black leather again, mm. or are they going to reconceive it a little bit? That's like, cool. You know that yeah. that's just sort of how I think of Catwoman as this woman dressed in black leather, but it doesn't have to necessarily be like that, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's true. It doesn't. It absolutely doesn't. I mean, remember she is uh, uh, every bit Batman's equal in her own different way. So, and we saw that with the um, uh, Catwoman woman in Gotham. Uh, I forget the actress's name, but she was able to slide in and do a completely different version of Catwoman that didn't necessarily rely on the leather and the tight skirts because she's a young actress. You don't want to see that. Or tight, I'm sorry, the leather pants and things of that nature. So, But here's the thing that's interesting, and I was thinking about this last night, Jeff. There have been – oh, there's only been one misstep in my opinion as a Catwoman, and that would Halle be Halle Berry. Right, who is maybe too sexy for it. Right, and it's not really her fault. That film was just terrible from top to bottom for a number of reasons. But look, Eartha Kitt's great. Lee Merriweather was great. Anne Hathaway was good. Michelle Pfeiffer is fantastic. Uh, and uh, the, the actress who played her in Gotham was good as well as Catwoman. So this is a c- character that ironically – is well played whenever it's cast for the most part. So I look forward to seeing who they go with. But I like that it's a person of color. I will ask you this. There's rumors about Gordon being a person of color. There's rumors about Alfred possibly being a person of color. How, would this – like does this interest you as, as an exciting new way to approach the Batman story? I mean I don't think it matters what color anybody is as long like as long as they're good actors. Fair like enough. that's all I really care about. Mm-hmm. I don't think that making Commissioner Gordon black will fundamentally change the character at all that much. Okay. I, but um, I think it's a good I think it, it's the symbolism of it all would be good. I think overall as a progressive thing. Sh- what by by having a black like police commissioner? Yeah. And I think Gordon sure, is a place but you I, can I, go black. I, with. I think you could have a black butler and I don't think it's a step backwards to suddenly cast recast Alfred as a black guy. No. Like, I don't, I don't think, think it's either. yeah. Like so, Idris Elba as Alfred would be fascinating. Yeah, I don't. I don't know if I see that. Um, <laughs> he's British. He's black. He's in his. <laughs> well, he's only, I, he's, I think he's in his late forties, early fifties. It works. Um. Yeah. Maybe. Maybe. <laughs> maybe, maybe so. I don't. Uh, but um. Any. Anyways, I, I brought you in here, John. Oh, okay. 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 Brought you in here to talk about Joker and Parasite. Okay. So I saw Parasite last night, and to me, there were some very interesting parallels between the two movies. They're both sort of striking back at the rich. I yeah. Mean, yeah. Uh, I, I don't want to give away the end of Parasite, uh, but but you know, it definitely becomes vi- a violent film. Mm. What 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 did you make of Parasite overall? Oh, I thought it was a fantastic film, and I think in any language, this film should be nominated for Best Picture. I thought some of the acting was incredible. The script, even though you're reading, obviously most people would be reading the subtitles, uh, takes you on an incredible journey of this family thinking that a certain thing exists or putting their own judgments on a certain other family while also wanting to fight back against the judgments of them. And the, the irony of it all that we are so um, easily, we can easily uh, objectify other people, but get upset when we get objectified. Right, and that really gets exposed in this movie. And it is a companion piece, or it certainly is in the same spiritual universe as uh, Kira Kurosawa's High and Low. This idea of aspiring for what you see, the house on the hill, and denigrating the people who live on the house on the hill because you think, because you're poor, you've got a better point of view on the world, a more real point of view, quote unquote, on the world, but. 
your instincts once you get into a certain position take over and when they do it can lead to the horrible things that happen in this movie so you ask yourself are they poor by situation and circumstance or are they poor because their instincts lead them into self-destructive paths so i think that's a fascinating thing to explore from one point of view in that film and from the rich side it's more a matter of like the obliviousness or the aloofness to certain situations right doesn't necessarily mean that they've lost their humanity it just means that that's how they operate within their world so i think he exposes so much about classism about wealth and about uh, people's human instinct to uh, objectify in order to um, judge and, that, and feel that, better. That than. stuff is different in Korea, obviously. You yeah, know? Right. Uh, you know, issues of class are, are, are very different. I love that the, the cinematography in this film, the camera work, which oh, yeah. like. You know, it starts at street level and then, you know, it, it takes you down almost like an elevator and, and you realize you're in like this basement. Yeah. Uh, and. Oh man, I, I I was very impressed with it. I didn't love the ending. It oh. kind of went in a direction I wasn't necessarily expecting. Okay. Um, do you watch a lot of Korean cinema? Yeah, yeah, okay. no, I, okay. I do. Because I feel uh, like and, it and fit I should have. I, I maybe should have expected that. Yeah, yeah. Um, particularly just given some of the festivals that this movie has played, mm. I just I do not think it's a best picture. Um, wow. And and going into it, I really? was like, could this be the rare foreign language film that okay. transcends that restriction and, and gets into the, the main category? And I don't think so. I don't think that mm-hmm. it is. And I don't, honestly, I don't, I, I thought it was like a shoe-in to win the foreign language Oscar. I don't know that that's even the case at this point. Wow. Not that, you know, making, seeing the movie changed my mind uh-huh. or anything, because it is really, really good. Like mm-hmm. Definitely one of the best films I've seen all year. But, you know, I, I just don't know if this is going to be the Academy's cup of tea. Really? Yeah. I don't know if the Academy will go for this because okay. it's almost this – is, this movie's pretty dark. Yeah, and rightfully, I mean, Bong Joon-ho does a lot of his stuff in – he exists in the dark realm. Uh, even Okja had dark elements to it even though it's an overall trying to be yeah, positive satire, film, yeah. Yeah, satire thing. It still has some darkness to it. But I will say this. So Dan Park, who plays uh, Kim Ki-jung in the film, the the sister, the daughter – she immediately – if I was an agent in Hollywood, I would immediately be on the phone with her mm. and try somehow to get her into more American films because she is incredible in the film. Uh, and uh, she is – she just has this energy that you should immediately be p- putting this person into an Avengers movie or an X-Men movie as a young superhero actress or give her more uh, of American stuff to explore because – it would be fun to get her to become an international star because she's so talented and so good in this movie. Uh, and, of course, the acting all around is really good. But I think she really stands out. Um, I, I, I love the way that the film kind of played with, with shadows and with lighting. Mm. I, like that was the element that impressed me. I actually think that if this movie could break into any main category, it could be screenplay. Okay. I, I, the screenplay was terrific. I was actually surprised at how wordy it was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because um, it, it, it actually would make a great play. Don't, I don't disagree play. with that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That would be really interesting. Um, Easy to do as well because it's only certain sets, only two or three sets in the film. Right. And you, you asked me if I'd seen uh, you know a lot of Korean yeah. cinema. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I just watched this movie this week, The Gangster, The Cop, The Devil, that I was telling you about. Okay. Uh, guys, rent this movie. It's like four or five bucks on iTunes. Uh, it it, it star- stars Ma Dong, Dong Suk. Yeah. Who's going to be in Eternals, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I think his, his, he goes by Don Lee. But it's basically about the serial killer, and the serial killer rear ends people. He gets in traffic accidents with them, so that when they come out and check on the damage, uh, the serial killer stabs them to death. Yeah. And so uh, this one time, he he you know rams this car, and this you know kind of jacked gangster gets out, and they get into a tussle, and the serial killer stabs him a bunch, but he lives. He fights off the serial killer. Wow. And then this cop who had been trying to put the gangster behind bars. Uh, he's like, hey man, you're the only person who's seen the serial killer's face. Can you help? It? Can you know? Can we team up and try to catch this guy? And they do. And, and I thought it was a, a, just a great premise. Okay. Um, so I'm definitely watch that. Give that one a look. It, you know, not getting nearly the reviews or anything. Uh, the you know the awards that Parasite is. And Parasite is probably a better, richer mm-hmm. uh, film overall. Yeah. But this this was pretty entertaining. Um, okay. Did you ever did you ever see Infernal Affairs? Yeah, Infernal Affairs. Of course, right after Departed came out, and you found out that it was based on that. I went back and watched those. Interesting. I'd uh, seen it before. So, yeah. Um, oh, really? Oh, okay. yeah. Before All Departed, right. I'm glad I didn't because I was still able to enjoy it without comparing it. Do you know what I'm saying? On its own. 
Um, so, yeah. So, so with Parasite though, do like do you see those those let's, like let's transition to Joker? Yeah, sure. Like because you know Joker is obviously about eat the rich and and yeah. uh, a lot more than that. Yeah. So like. Well, I think both of these films are topical for what's going on in our society and in our world. The, the shrinking middle class, um, the go. rich getting richer, the uh, working class having to work more, multiple jobs. Uh, we just saw – or I just saw this morning Sports Illustrated uh, laid off half their staff because right. this Maven company is coming in and taking over. This is scary. You know, and it's scary on a lot of fronts and a lot of businesses. I did a, a podcast. Uh, oh, I did one of my episodes of the Deep Cut with these uh, documentary directors talking about the American factory mm-hmm. and how that factory everyone was put out of work. Then Chinese came over and took it over, and the Americans couldn't adapt to the Chinese way of doing things, and it became a massive culture war. And the um, turnover in that company was insane. The percentage numbers because people couldn't convert to that kind of working. So it's a clashing of cultures. So this idea that jobs are quickly going away and people are having to survive to work jobs that they normally wouldn't do or work on the conditions they normally work wouldn't work on just to pay bills right. is all over the world. So. So why wouldn't it show up in our cinema, which is always reflective of our society? And you see this in Joker and you see it more so, I think, in Parasite. Joker is more about this is a damaged person who stumbles into a movement, right? And that's a different situation. Uh, And I don't want to give too much away, but that certainly – you see that in the trailers. But it's about – but not only damaged in the way that you think like, oh, he's – chemically damaged. It's something else that happens in the movie and then you find out and all this kind of jazz. But Thomas Wayne becomes this symbol of what he thinks. Right. He's the Mr. Park. Right. Right. Exactly. He thinks that guy has this life and I've been denied this life because that guy has denied me. And so it's like, okay, what does that mean? Right. And so he explores that more and more in the movie. And I think that's really the number one thing about this, about Joker and about Parasite is this idea of objectifying the rich, thinking the rich hold the key or the rich are the reason you're, you're you know, being pushed down. Uh, and that's something that I think has validity to it in some ways and in some ways doesn't. And I think both of these films explore the valid reasons and the invalid reasons for that thought or that mentality. Um, yeah, because in Parasite, the you know the anger obviously is not as palpable as mm. it is in Joker, but when it, it arrives, like it, it makes sense thematically. I just didn't know that it was going to go there. Right, right, right. Um, but yeah, so I saw Joker on on Saturday night. I was mm. fortunate enough to attend the premiere. I was totally blown away. Um, I, I acknowledge that maybe the movie's not perfect, and I understand some of the arguments and criticisms that people are making. But there's a lot of people out there who are just refusing to engage, who are throwing up their hands and saying this movie. There's nothing interesting about this. Not even worth arguing about. Right. I can I could not disagree more about that. There's a lot going on underneath the surface of this movie. Should check out the spoiler uh, review that that uh, mm. I taped with John and, and Dennis saying. Yeah. Who I sat next to last night at Parasite. Uh, I haven't even gotten his reaction. I need to talk to Dennis about mm. that. But um, yeah, I, I just I love the entire cast, like top to bottom. Nobody else like grabbed me like 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 Joaquin did. Maybe you know he he kind of carries the movie on yeah, his shoulders. Sure. So nobody else really gets it, that chance to shine. But they all just show up and do their jobs and do them well. The cinematography from Lauren Cher was also super impressive and the score was gorgeous. So yeah. like I, I don't know if people are are waiting to see Joker if they wanna you know, get, hear that word of mouth and, and not rely on like critics who have to push certain buttons yeah. with their takes. Or if they're worried about the, the potential violence this weekend, you know, I know the media has sort of uh, worked Ugh. everybody up on that uh, about that stuff, and Ugh. yeah, it just seems kind of irresponsible to me. I think so too because you're almost it's almost a self fulfilling prophecy. It's almost a tiger chasing its tail. The more you talk about it, the more like the FBI talking about, oh, we've got these threats and blah blah blah. Why would you release it, then create a fervor so that people are in theaters? Uh, half watching the film and half trying to look right. around to make sure somebody Keeping isn't going to attack the exits, yeah. Right, exactly. I mean, even at the screening we went to at the Grove, people around us, and I know you went to the Saturday, but I went to the one uh, a couple days ago, people around us were like talking about, like looking around and looking at people. And I'm like, this is... This is no way to exist or create this hype and hysteria. Right. And I think people are using it at times. I've seen on Twitter people using it 
to push their own agenda about the movie. And I don't I think, think people even believe some of their own agendas. Mm. Like people, I think they're just writing this stuff for traffic and clicks. And mm. I don't even know if they necessarily believe some of these arguments. Like it, it just doesn't seem authentic. No, because it doesn't. Because the film doesn't do that. That's the thing. The thing at the, at the, at the end of the end. I don't want to spoil anything. But the film is not about you know. I don't. It's about this guy's journey. And all the factors around this guy. He is not a blank slate that you can put your stuff onto. His experience is very specific to his world with characters that are specifically in his world. They're not stock characters necessarily. There are words – there are characters who affect his world in certain ways. So when they're trying to claim that this is some kind of – incel patron saint. I'm like, you have no idea what you're talking about. Like, I really think you have no idea what you're talking about because the film is so not that. It's so not that. And goes out of its way to show you uh, a difficult and complex person. And only you can decide for yourself if you want to feel empathetic or sympathy for this person or don't. Because I think the film presents this guy three-dimensional and shows you all the different ways uh, you can either like or hate him. Um, we got a few more minutes with you before you have yeah, to take off. Uh, so real quickly, what did you think of the Richard Jewell trailer? Because I thought it looked oh, great. I loved it. And I, you know, Eastwood's an interesting director for me now because I'm, I'm, I think he does great trailers and I don't always enjoy the movie, right? Um, Talking about 1517 to Paris, yeah, which is a great oh, trailer. And I'm a military guy. I wanted to like that trailer because those were military guys who mm-hmm. got involved and the actual guys are in the movie. Um, and I thought the Sully trailer was great, but I was bored out of my mind in Sully because it felt like, okay, I've seen this beat by beat. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're manufacturing drama. Uh, and then in 1517 to Paris, that was just like – that was Grand Torino gone awry in terms of getting new actors to come in. And it was like this is weird. Uh, so I didn't enjoy that. But this looks great because this is an interesting story. Sam Rockwell looks fantastic in this movie. John Hamm playing an FBI agent again. Sure, why not? Uh, <laughs> Uh, but the guy who plays Richard Jewell, he's the guy from Itania. Paul Walter Hauser. Paul, yeah. He is so good. And I remember – I lived through this story. I was in my 20s when the story happened and I remember John, – John was a suspect at one point. <laughs> <laughs> no. I've never been that long. But I was – I remember this being a big deal and I remember when the media turned on this guy mm-hmm. and what he had to fight through. And before we had this term, the media, the mainstream media or fake news or all this, right. these things were things that people had to overcome and get over and fight. And what you see in the trailer here is a scary situation where the government and the newspapers are already convicting you and think it's just a matter of time before you make a mistake. Right. And it's like, that's unsa- uncomfortable. I think to watch. it seems super timely with the fake news stuff. Yes. Uh, I, I think the performance looks like it could be special. Sam Rockwell's. I don't know mm. if like Paul Walter Hauser is going to be positioned as the leader in supporting it, and if or if it's more of like a Sam Rockwell. Type of movie because remember Leonardo DiCaprio almost played this character. Yeah, it's going to be Leo and Jonah. Um, <sighs> but yeah, Clint Eastwood turned this one around super quickly. Warner Brothers decided to to put it out before the end of the year, so it is going to be up for awards consideration. I thought the trailer looked great. I love the repetition that Eastwood yeah. uh, uses. Uh, they did the same thing w- with Sully. And uh, and Kathy Bates, Kathy Bates, oh, Kathy Bates is, was great. Too. Yeah, 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 she yeah. could get a, she could get a nomination. So, Absolutely. Uh, very excited about that one, especially as someone who's sort of, uh, you know, when I got fired, I, I've been in the media or been written about, and and uh, people jump to conclusions. And man, this guy was a hero who who had his life torn apart by an overzealous reporter. So, yeah, very looking forward uh, to that one. You got to go, John. Yeah, I got to jump off. Okay, right, thanks, go Jeff. Enjoy I'm mailbag. Jeff. Yep. Um, plenty more to discuss, guys. How about these Martin Scorsese comments where he says that Marvel movies aren't cinema? People are freaking out about this. They're freaking out. Guess what? Uh, some Marvel movies are and some Marvel movies aren't. Some of them just feel like corporate product and they feel impersonal and like they're just trying to you know, serve as a bridge to from, from one character or plot point to the other so that the MCU can can continue like – I don't know. I don't think Scorsese's completely out of line. I think he's misguided. I think he's wrong. Like, Joker is a, is an art house comic book movie. Logan is a beautiful movie. Dark Knight is a great movie. The Crow is one of my favorite movies. So I'm not going to sit here and just bash comic book movies, even though most people think that I hate them out, uh, altogether. I, I love Kick-Ass, too. There's a lot of good comic book movies, and, and there is an art to them. And even the movies that I don't like, like an Aquaman 
uh, I can note the artistry that it took to create them and, and that they are sort of pushing boundaries and uh, hopefully making it easier for the next person to come along and improve upon that. Um, but, uh, yeah, like Scorsese, I, I don't even know how much of this shit he really believes. It's like we talked about on, on Movie Talk this morning. Joker, he nearly produced or executive produced Joker. His name is ultimately not on the movie, but it was produced by Emmett, Emmett Till and Jarkoskoff, who is his right-hand producing partner. Like, she runs his company. So it's practically like his company made it. I mean, yeah, I know he was too busy with the with the Irishman uh, to, to really, you know, work on, on this, but it's a clear homage to his work. Like, the Joker movie is just a movie about a crazy guy who becomes the Joker at the end. He's not the Joker the entire way through. It is a, a, a fascinating origin story, but it's like Martin Scorsese is almost half responsible for this origin since it's just so clearly like the ta- taxi driver uh, meets the king of comedy. Um, so I, I, it's like I, I can't put too much stock in these quotes because I don't know how much he ultimately believes them. And I think it's just like. You know, you get asked all these fucking questions by these reporters who have way too much access to these huge people, by the way. Uh, so you get Joe Schmo asking these questions, and I, I guess Joe Schmo did their did their job <laughs> on this one. I forget uh, where the original comments were made. Um, you know, things are trending. Like, that's what you want. That's the whole point of doing these junket interviews. But I, I don't think it just – I don't think it represents Martin Scorsese's views entirely. Um, I think that, yeah, I, 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 listen, Scorsese has also earned the right to say whatever he wants. So, uh, I, I, I just, I'm not like, bo- say boy, let's boycott the Irishman because Martin Scorsese uh, said this about comic book movies. He is entitled to his opinion just as I'm entitled to mine and you guys are entitled to yours. Uh, speaking of comic book movies, Ryan Coogler, the Black Panther director, <laughs> he has signed on to produce this movie, Bitter Root. Uh, and it sounds like, I don't know, it kind of had a wild premise, um, but it involves these monsters that, that feed off of hatred and prejudice. This is not a Marvel or DC thing. It's from Image Comics. You know, he's going to be working on it with his wife, uh, you know, joining the list, the, the ranks of A-list filmmakers who work with their wives, like Zack Snyder, David Fincher, uh, Christopher Nolan, you know, whose wife Emma Thomas produces all of his stuff. So, yeah, uh, Ryan Coogler, he's not directing this. He's not writing it, but him and Zinzi Evans are, are going to be producing it. And, and Sev Ohanian, who did Searching, which was a really, really good uh, low-budget indie movie. I didn't realize that those two had originally worked together on Fruitvale Station, which remains Ryan Coogler's best movie, by the way. If you have not seen Fruitvale Station, seek that one out. Um, so, yeah, Bitterroot, I don't know, could be interesting with, with Coogler's imprimatur. Depends on who they get to direct. Yeah. There's also this uh, copyright law that everybody's been talking about this week. I guess, you know, back in the 70s, they passed this law that, that creators of original works can, can get the rights back or, or sue to terminate uh, other people's rights situations after 35 years. And so the screenwriter of Friday the 13th, Victor Miller, did this against uh, Sean S. Cunningham and won. And so he got the rights, at least the domestic rights, because the international, you know, uh, U.S. copyright law does not apply all over the world. So he didn't get the international rights. So those are split. And it's like, well, if one person has domestic and one person has international, that makes it tough to get a deal done. Um, and Cunningham is is appealing this case. So, it, you know, it's not over. But everybody's had their eye on this because we've started to see more and more screenwriters uh, file termination notices, and I guess Gail Ann Hurd did that for The Terminator. That is a 1984 movie because it's all about when the work was published, not when it was necessarily written, but when it was published. So that makes The Terminator a 1984 movie. That's 35 years. I'm 35 years old, born in 84. Uh, and so Skydance has the rights to Terminator now. They're the ones who, who put out Terminator Dark Fate. But t- three years from now, if Skydance wants to make a sequel to Dark Fate, they would technically have to renegotiate their deal with the co-writers of The Terminator, Gail Ann Hurd, and James Cameron. Uh, now, there's a two-year sort of buffer window in there from when you know when the notice is filed. I guess so you have two more years to to do whatever you need to with the rights. I don't know if it's two years from after like from after when it expires or if it's 
you have to give the termination notice two years before it expires, that they have two years to do something. Uh, that's sort of how Paramount was able to make the Pet Cemetery movie because those rights are heading back to Stephen King eventually. Um, and yeah, uh, Die Hard, the, the author, Roderick Thorpe, who wrote the book that Die Hard was based on, he's doing it. Gary Wolf, I think, is the other one for uh, – he wrote the book that Roger Rabbit was based on, who censored Ro- Roger Rabbit, I think it was, the screenwriter of Beetlejuice. So all these like 80s properties – you know, could revert to their original creators. It doesn't mean that they're going to go away entirely because, again, the rights to just sit on these rights, then they're not creating any value. Uh, and unless these screenwriters can afford to make their own Terminator movie, which, you know, they probably cannot. They don't have $200 million lying around. And nor would they invest it all into a movie that could flop and then they could lose their fortunes. You need someone to, pick the, you know, exploit the property and the IP. You need a studio or a network. So you're going to end up selling it back anyways. What does that mean? It means that you know the next iteration of Terminator could be a Netflix series. If Netflix buys the rights, if Skydance you know, d- doesn't get them, maybe Galen Hurd and James Cameron are invested since Cameron is, is, part, is a producer on Dark Fate. They're invested in this world that they've created. They, are, they you know, are motivated to get a deal done to renew the rights with Skydance. You, you just... You know, you don't know. Maybe the diehard guy uh, is like, oh, I, I got to get the series out of Fox and, and Disney because and, Warner Brothers is ready to make me a, a monster offer and they want to give it to Chris Nolan or something. Like, that would be super cool. Um, so it's all about, you know, sort of how do these creators feel that, that their babies have sort of been been taken care of and babysat by these studios over the years. Uh, Disney Plus Home Alone reboot. Uh, I wrote about this a couple months ago back in August when Disney Plus announced intentions to make a whole bunch of family, you know, redo a bunch of family movies like Night at the Museum, Cheaper by the Dozen, Diary of a Wimpy Kid. And Home Alone was one of those. And that was sort of the furthest along as I understood it at the time. We mentioned that Dan Mazur was the top choice to direct. And sure enough, this week we got some confirmation uh, in, in tandem with The Observer that Dan Mazur is in talks to direct the Home Alone reboot. It is going to go in a bit of a different direction instead of um, two bad guys trying to break into a house and and it's defended by a kid. I think these are two parents and and the kid has stolen something from them, so they need to get into his house to steal it back. So, you know, it's – I don't know. Maybe Home Alone was a little scary for eight- or nine-year-olds back in the day. Maybe they were always freaking out about being left home alone and burglars. I I don't know what it is, but this this kind of – Puts a, a fresh spin on things, allows them to to play with expectations, and uh, you know the, the, they don't have to do exactly the same thing that that John Hughes and Chris Columbus did with Macaulay uh, Culkin. It's all going to depend, of course, on the kid. And as written, they are still looking for a little boy. I think that they should change it to a little girl and get and get that Julia Butters girl from Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Uh, but if they do stick with the boy, I loved Brady Noon, who played Thor in um, Good Boys. Good Boys is one of the funniest movies of the year. All three of those kids are super talented. Could they go with Jacob Tremblay? Sure, they could. Um, I just don't, you know, and, and he's like a, a, a child prodigy of an actor. The kid's super, super duper talented. I just don't know if it's a little too obvious to cast Jacob Tremblay. Uh, uh, what else? What else? Halloween Kills. Speaking of sequels and reboots and all that stuff, this is a the Halloween sequel is bringing back its original, all of its original cast members, more or less. I mean, no one knows. I don't, I don't think the average person knows who these characters are. No one's going to know who Nurse Marion is or whatever. Um, you know, they're just the average person buying a ticket to this movie is like a teenager on on date night. <laughs> But nonetheless, they're getting the gang back together again. All the Lonnie Elam and, and Tommy Doyle, you know, we already had cast with Anthony Michael Hall. But basically, if you're an extra in in the original Halloween and you're not finding your way into this new Halloween Kills movie, fire, fire your agent. Um, we saw reports this week that, God, there's all kinds of stuff on, on the streaming wars front. You know, like uh, ABC, which is owned by Disney, is not going to accept any Netflix ads anymore. Netflix will still be able to run ads on the Disney-owned ESPN because, you know, Netflix isn't isn't seen as a competitor to ESPN because it doesn't offer live sports. But uh, I just saw a report in Variety. I forget where it originally broke, either Wall Street Journal or Bloomberg maybe. But uh, they said that as of this morning, you couldn't access the Amazon Prime video app on Apple TV. 
And it's like I'm, I get it. It makes sense, I suppose, that like Apple wouldn't want – why would Apple users want – you know, why would Apple want to steer its users towards Amazon content? But I don't know, man. If you're going to make an Apple TV like device, I want to be able to access more than just Apple programs. If I can get HBO now on it and Showtime now and FX and all this other stuff and Hulu, why why, why are you drawing the line line at Amazon? I don't understand that. Uh, And I'm going to be pissed if if that sticks. Like I hope that the Amazon Prime app is on my Apple TV when I get home today. I'm definitely going to check. But it's like, man, like, read the room, guys. This is why everybody started cutting the cord in the first place because things are just getting so expensive. I don't want to have to go buy, uh, you know, an Amazon Fire Stick or something and plug it into my TV and have to toggle inputs, you know, when I want to watch an Amazon program. The, the whole beauty of Apple TV, which I've been espousing for years, is its super clean interface and the fact that I can get just about anything on there. So I, I love the Apple TV. Um, and I really hope that, that they don't take these steps to start, you know, blocking content, uh, from rivals. Um, Disney developing four new animated movies and they announced, uh, they each have, you know, a filmmaker of color. So they hired a bunch of diverse directors, including blind spotting director, Carlos Lopez Estrada. I was not a big fan of that movie, which by the way, it's getting its own TV series now starring Jasmine Cephas Jones, who, uh, who actually was good in the movie. I, I, I liked all the performances in, in Blind Spotting. Don't get me wrong. I just, you know, conceptually had, had some issues with it. But um, I don't know. I would have liked to have heard a little bit more about these projects from Disney. Don't know why this announcement had to be made when it did. Like, I, I want to hear what are these movies called? What are these movies about? Instead, it was just like, hey, who cares what these movies are? Just know they're, they're from diverse directors and, and we're, we're doing our job and, and our commitment to diversity and inclusivity. That's not, you know, I, I want to hear a little bit more about these collaborations and, and what they mean. What kind of stories are these people telling? Uh, so, yeah, didn't just didn't really know what to make of, of that announcement. Um, and I don't think that you can just take anybody either and turn them into an animation director. Uh, not that animation is really a director's medium, but I don't know. I think it's. I'm just very curious as to what the what these uh, pitches were that uh, Disney signed on to, and and not to mention for a theatrical release. Like that was the other sort of important thing. It'd be one thing if if they were just you know uh, buying a bunch of stuff for Disney Plus, but these are supposedly like theatrical released animated movies from Disney Animation. Uh, so these could be some some pretty big titles, which is interesting. Maybe that you know part of that is just. The turnover in the animation world, I know Pixar has obviously lost a lot of people, and there there have been some big changes at Disney. Um, but but kudos to Jennifer Lee for for you know that taking that initiative. Um, what else we got? What else we got? Oh, I had to laugh at this one, guys. Tom Holland, the unlikely savior who saved the Spider-Man deal. That's a good one. Uh, I feel like I have a sneeze coming, so excuse me. But um, give me a break, guys. Give me a break. This is about money. It's not like Tom Holland was like Tom Rothman. Uh, Bob Iger, like, let's sit down, let's break bread, let's get you guys in a room, and we can hammer something out. Like, I'm sure that he was one of many voices trying to get this deal done because it only made sense for everybody. It's a win-win all around. That's why I was always confident that, you know, this wasn't going to be the last that we'd heard of it. And I love how the trades carry water for these companies, too. When I when I first started looking into this, it was like you couldn't, you couldn't get Disney and, and Sony's stories were completely different. Disney was like, we're done negotiating. And Sony was like, wait, what? Uh, <laughs> and, then, and then within a matter of days, it was like, yep, we're done. We're done. And we're moving away from the table. And, and you know, the trades just carry water for these, co- for these companies without, like, thinking. Just, like, use common sense. Of course this is going to get done. There's dollars hanging in the balance. So the idea that, like, whoever, I don't know who put this out there, whether this was Marvel PR, Sony PR, Tom Holland himself, Tom Holland's publicist, give me a break. The unlikely savior who saved the Spider-Man deal. Yeah, what would make him unlikely? He's Spider-Man. Who else Who else would be trying to help? I love it. <laughs> what if it was like Vin Diesel? Vin Diesel's the unlikely savior. Who knew? Uh, Andre Overdahl, who just had a hit with Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark. That movie did surprisingly well for CBS Films. He just signed on to a cursed project, The Last Voyage of the Demeter. Terrible title. Uh, yeah, I've been reporting on this project for like a good decade, I want to say. I don't think, I don't know if this will ever happen. Uh, 
I mean, Overdell's a good choice. Like, it's cool that they got him, but I just I'm skeptical of this ever making its way to the big screen. In other horror news, Jordan Peele signed a deal with Universal. He's going to write, direct, and produce at least two more new movies for them. But, guys, what is the deal with the Candyman movie? Remember when that was casting and then what happened to it? I don't think it shot, right? I don't think it's I don't think it shot. Like, is it a script thing? Is it a scheduling thing? The casting has kind of been all over the place. I don't know. Uh, very curious what is happening with that Candyman movie. He, again, it's not something he's directing. He's just producing it. Um, but huge win for Universal for like getting, getting this guy. Between Get Out and Us. Uh, Us, I think, was the biggest original movie of the year before Once Upon a Time in Hollywood came out. Uh, and who knows? It, it could get an Oscar nomination for screenwriting. Uh, maybe. Uh, Get Out did, I, I believe. So, yeah. Not, that, like, between... For, for a studio that doesn't have a lot of IP, uh, or at least not, like, you know, Star Wars, Marvel, DC, like, Universal's killing it. Fast and Furious, Blumhouse, you know, uh, Illumination, Jordan Peele. These are brands that they're, that they're, you know, instrumental in helping to build. So, they're getting it done over there on the Universal lot. What else? What else? What else? Eli Roth producing a 1031 uh, Halloween horror movie for Orion. That sounds kind of cool. Yahya Abdul-Mateen II, who played Black Manta and Aquaman, he's going to be replacing Jonathan Majors as uh, Bobby Seale, who co-founded the Black Panther Party in Aaron Sorkin's The Trial of the Chicago 7. That, uh, that could be an interesting prestige project for next year. Uh, Apple announced that its movies are going to get uh, the, like brief theatrical releases, and they've partnered with a whole bunch of different people. Bleecker Street was one of them. Uh, I think Greenwich Films uh, was one of them. Or Greenwich Entertainment, sorry. You know, Apple has to do this because they can't be viewed as, as lesser than. So, that, you know, they, they have to find a way to placate filmmakers because that's the name of the game. You, you need creators. That's why you see Netflix throwing hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars at guys like Ryan Murphy or Shonda Rhimes and people, you know, throwing this money at JJ Abrams or Greg Berlanti. Like you, you know, it's all about people and creators and, and stories. And and that's why like when I read this Joel Edgerton story, I gotta I gotta bring up these quotes, okay? This Joel Edgerton story about how he wished Boy Erased had gone to uh, to Netflix rather than, you know, going with focus. Right. This is it right here. He said, we had a really interesting debate about which way to go. Focus had this incredible track record with putting out these LGBTQ films like Brokeback, Mountain, and Milk. So I felt we were in the right hands. We wanted to create a face-to-face -face scenario where we'd have FaceTime with audiences and have Q&As and generate discussions. And to me, it felt like that was the right way to go. Here's the thing that people don't understand. And, I, you know, Joel Edgerton is a very smart guy. And so this quote makes no sense to me. And people, it's like they, they, they can't, like, look past the quote. You're right. Focus has a great track. Right? They, they have released Brokeback and Milk. But when I say they, when I say Focus, it's just a name. It's just a banner. It's just a company. They don't make anything. Focus makes nothing. People make movies. Human beings. And so the people who make Brokeback, who is, who is still at Focus who was there for the Brokeback days? Like, you know, who cares what Focus, the distributor's track record is? It's all about the executives who are working at Focus, probably most of whom are, were not there for Brokeback or Milk. So it's, it's like you can talk about how some of these studios have these rich histories of releasing X, Y, and Z, but these are di totally different people making the decision. So who cares what the track record is? Um, <laughs> where was I? We got, got off on a little tangent on that one. I, I just it's – so, it's so funny. It's, it's why I don't love interviewing people anymore because half the time they're, they're just grasping at straws with their answers they don't even know what they're talking about it's why my number one rule of reporting is never believe actors they, they you know they, they're just going off what their agents are telling them um and so am i but they know better than to lie to me 
They lie to their clients all the time. Oh, yeah, they loved you. They loved you in the room. Great audition. We're going to hear back. Oh, yeah, that movie, I think uh, Universal's greenlighting it tomorrow, and uh, it's going to be off the ground in March. We're heading into production. No, you're not. Uh, Elsewhere, there was Cherry Casting. That's the Russo Brothers' next movie with Tom Holland as a a guy who comes back from war with extreme undiagnosed PTSD. I love how they keep saying that in the log line. This is extreme PTSD. This isn't just normal PTSD. And it's undiagnosed, so he doesn't even know he has it. It's scary. Um, and then he starts, you know, he has an opioid addiction, starts robbing banks. This is all based on a true story of Nico Walker. I don't know if Tom Holland is ready for this movie at this point in his, in his career. He's, he still seems a little young. He's got that baby face. And so does his new female lead, Sierra Bravo. I mean, when I first heard about this casting, you know, I, I looked her up because I'd never heard of her. Uh, she looks like she's 15 years old. And I, when I said that, the, my, the, the guy I was talking about it with was like, well, <laughs> that's because Tom Holland looks like he's 15 years old. So, you know, it, they have to make sense as romantic uh, partners. Um, a bunch of Hollywood scions have also been added to this movie, including Michael Gandolfini, Jeffrey Wahlberg, Bill Skarsgård. It's like a pretty good young cast. I'm not surprised that the Russo brothers uh, got some interesting names for this one. Again, Tom Holland is really all you need, and, and this is his movie. I don't know what roles you know Bill Skarsgård, who plays Pennywise, is playing. Um, but you know Michael Gandolfini, he's a real up and comer. He's got he's playing his father, uh, James Gandolfini, taking over the Tony Soprano role in the Sopranos movie that comes out next year. I'm very worried about that one. I mean, not that I've heard anything bad. It just it doesn't seem like a good idea to me at all. And then Jeffrey Wahlberg was just in that uh, Dora the Explorer movie. He is Mark Wahlberg's nephew. Uh, so yeah, Cherry, an interesting movie. I'm glad to see the Russo brothers moving away from comic book stuff. Again, I don't know if, if Tom Holland has the gravitas at this point in his career to take on this type of character, but he is a good little actor, so uh, we'll see. I'll have to give him the benefit of the doubt. Um, Escape Room 2, finally coming together. It sounds like Taylor Russell and Logan Miller will be back. There They, they survived the original movie, and this time they're going to be joined by Isabel Furman from Masters of Sex on Showtime as well as The Hunger Games. I think she played Clove and uh, an Orphan. Orphan. God, that, that movie still sticks with me. i got to give that a rewatch uh, this month since it is the month of Halloween. Speaking of which, I did go on Twitter and I offered about 69 movies. Don't read into that number, by the way. 69 movies that you could watch the month of October that are not the obvious choices. It's not Freddy, Jason, Chucky, Candyman, Exorcist, Psycho, you know, Stephen King stuff. It's none of that stuff. These are all kind of weirdo movies, you know, for the most part that, that I love and that you know, molded me as a horror fan. That's how I fell in love with movies was horror. So I know I don't have a, a witching hour podcast and I don't, uh, you know, get a lot of the, the juicy horror assignments here, which we typically leave to, to Perry and Haley, but I'm every bit the horror fan. And I think that, uh, if you are as well, you would really enjoy this list. Hopefully, you know, I want to introduce people to, to new movies. That's sort of the fun of this job. So you guys come to me and you're like, Oh my God, thank you for this recommendation. That just totally makes my day. What else do we got? Winston Duke, he's going to be uh, playing a youth basketball coach in Kevin Durant's Apple Series Swagger. Interesting choice for for Winston Duke off of uh, us and Black Panther. Um, But yeah, you got to get those Apple dollars while you can. What else? What else? What else? Oh, okay. So we talked about trailers. The Richard Jewell trailer I said looked great. I love the poster for Free Guy. With Ryan Reynolds taking off his shirt and tie, only to reveal another shirt and tie underneath. I love the, just the idea that that gets out of like a, you know, a, a video game character or whatever who becomes conscious. It's like a live action Wreck It Ralph, if you will. That, that could be a, a real surprise hit, uh, like a, an origin, a new original IP for for Fox and Disney over there. The Good Liar also dropped a new sixty second teaser. I, I am so excited for the Good Liar, guys. Ian McKellen, Helen Mirren conning each other. Who's conning who? Uh, like Bill Condon, who's a master in, at the helm. I am uh, very excited for that one. I think it's going to be a fun thriller. Talked about Gangster Cop and the Devil. Uh, Bloodline. I rented that movie with Sean William Scott. Wasn't very good. Yeah. Wasn't terrible. But I think I preferred Teacher, which was kind of similarly themed. And that one was with uh, David Dasmalkian. Listen, I like Sean Scott 
typically, and I, this was a good role for him, but you know he's still limited as an actor. Like he, he was a little wooden and stiff in this movie, and that kind of took me out of things. Um, I like the actress who played his wife, though. So yeah, that that Blumhouse movie, you kind of can kind of understand why that one got dumped uh, on VOD. And the other movie that I saw this week was Gemini Man. Guys, you're getting an early Gemini Man review out of me right now as we uh, near the end of our show. I liked it. I was surprised how much I liked it. It the the effects are are I thought it was pretty cool. Like I'm not someone who like pays attention to high frame rates and that stuff. I, I guess I could tell that this was shot with a little something special. It it looked a lot better than it did in The Hobbit or Billy Lynn's Long Halftime Walk, which was a terrible movie and, and a weird movie to use that technology on. Um, you know, Perry. I think Perry was mixed on it overall. I think, you know, some of it, when you're using the high frame rate, it can look like it's like a soap opera. It looks almost cheap at times, even though it's actually, like, super expensive and, like, puts you right there in the middle of the action. I saw it in 3D. I'm not a 3D person, uh, and, I, and I sat next to RB3, and you got to give yourself a rest when you're watching. The, you got to give your eyes a rest when you're watching these 3D movies. So I would take my glasses off every 10 or 20 minutes during, like, a dialogue scene and, and you know, just refresh my eyes. So I don't love 3D, but I got to say the 3D in this movie was pretty exceptional. Um, this is a real 90s throwback. This is like the kind of movie that you would have seen Will Smith in in the mid to late 90s. Uh, it has that high concept. Uh, you know, obviously, Hollywood's been trying to make this movie for 30 years. Clint Eastwood, Harrison Ford, a whole bunch of other people have circled it. Uh, Ang Lee finally stepped up to the plate. You know, he loves those those technical challenges, and this certainly is one. He did manage to get a little bit of heart into it, and I and I liked that. There's there's some stuff with Clive Owen and, and Junior, who is Will Smith's clone, that I wish that they had sort of elaborated on more. Uh, you know, I don't think it's like a great Clive Owen performance, but it it hints at maybe a stronger villain, uh, and I, and I think that the script kind of fails this movie a little bit, but. I don't know. This is Will Smith doing Will Smith things. I think he's fun and engaging and entertaining and charming. And it really is a trip to see the young Will Smith, to see, you know, like Fresh Prince, Six Degrees of Separation era Will Smith hunting the older one. The technology I thought looked really good. And I was studying this guy's face. I was looking at the lips, the eyes, everything. It still looks not not that the mouth looks weird when he's talking, but the lips specifically. Maybe if there's one thing that I, that didn't look completely natural, it was that. But for the most part, I, I was I was very impressed with the technology until the very last scene. And I don't know if, if Paramount just ran out of money or if they're like, listen, it's the end. We already have everybody's money at this point. Who cares? Or if this was like a reshoot that they just didn't have time to finish the post-production on. But you will see in the very last scene of Gemini Man that the de-aging work on Will Smith is notably not as good as the rest of the movie. Maybe part of it is because this character is in broad daylight. When he's in daylight in, uh, before, he's part of like this fast-moving action scene. He's wearing sunglasses, so he's a little bit hard to see. But yeah, in broad daylight, it is kind of exposed, and it's not as good. And I hope that people don't leave the theater talking about that scene rather than everything that came before it. Because it was, you know, it was a pretty nifty movie. There's some really cool action scenes and sequences in this. It's not John Wick 3, but I don't know, man. It, Ang Lee... There are one or two scenes in this movie that I was like, wow, like that, that fucking delivered. Um, lots coming to Netflix. Uh, in the Tall Grass is this week. Fractured is next week. They get the Breaking Bad movie. Like, and we're not, we haven't even started getting into like the marriage story, Irishman, the king, two popes, Dolomite. I'm like, my God, this is just an embarrassment of riches for Netflix. Uh, but one thing I will call Netflix out on, along with, uh, to a lesser extent, Warner Brothers and Joker. Guys, have you paid attention? Have you been paying attention to these budget articles? Holy shit. You can't fool me because I'm the insider and I see it all. Let me just, I, I, I took screenshots on my phone the other day. Let's see, this is Variety. And the digital de-aging process that delayed the film's release and ballooned its budget to $150 million is integral. That's $150 million. Hollywood Reporter. With a reported budget of $140 million, this is a big swing for Netflix. <laughs> Deadline. <laughs> With a reported budget of $160 million, The Irishman is also noteworthy. This one, 
judging by the font to the rider deadline. Netflix, which paid a premium to get a film that reportedly cost $125 million. This one, I think, looks like IndieWire. Among the most anticipated fall season movies, The Irishman looms large with a budget somewhere in the vicinity of $200 million. This is, I don't know what this article is, but the streaming service bet big on the film. People close to the project told the Wall Street Journal that Netflix's total commitment is at least $173 million, while others said it spent upwards of $200 million. Guys, holy shit. I've seen figures from $125, million, $140, $150, $160, $170, $175, $200 million for The Irishman. It is all over the place. If you go on Deadline, you could read an article that says $140, $150, $160 million. And then two hours later, another writer is under a completely different impression, and they say it's $200 million. Like, no one is on the same page with this budget, and let me tell you what it means. It means that the budget is way fucking higher than any of you are even, like, imagining. I've heard that this movie went so far over on its VFX stuff. Like, they had to hire out entire VFX companies. They had people, they had to bring in freelancers so that, like, the, these offices were just open 24 hours. Just bring in one 12-hour shift, get the next 12-hour shift in there, r- rinse and repeat. Uh, the overages on this movie for the VFX, which they also had to have ready early in time for uh, the New York Film Festival, you know, to get to get it done by those deadlines... We're talking dollars, bro. So I will take the over, and I will go. I will go one ninety minimum, minimum. Definitely, I would two hundred. It seems very realistic, and honestly, I wouldn't be surprised if it was over two hundred and closer to two twenty five, two thirty. But what is money to Netflix, right? When you're getting this kind of buzz, uh, so yes, pay attention to. The next two months of Irishman stories and the 10 different fucking budget figures that you will get because it will blow your mind. Uh, as far as rumor of the week, I, I, I don't know. I don't really have one. So I'm just going to throw out one that I don't even necessarily know if I believe it. But, you know, there's been a lot of chatter about Star Wars with Kevin Feige and then, you know, Knives Out is coming out. So Ryan Johnson's going to get a million questions. But, you know, who not going to be questioned for at least a little while because Game of Thrones is over. It's Benioff and Weiss. What is going on with this Benioff and Weiss movie? Does it have a director? It's not those guys. They're not directing it. They're just writing and producing it, right? I don't even know if they're producing it. So it needs a director. And I think this is like the next Star Wars, supposedly the next Star Wars movie, right? Unless Kevin Feige's movie bumps it, bumps it uh, further down the line. Um, they've certainly been working on it for a while. So, yeah, who is going to direct? Well, I'll just throw this name out there. It is one that has already been rumored and has been shot down. I just don't know how realistic the rumor was when it first made the rounds a couple years ago. Reed Moreno. Reed Moreno, who you know, the distinguished cinematographer. She just did the Blake Lively movie, The Rhythm Section, which I, I really love that trailer. I don't know if we got a chance to talk about that trailer on here. I forget. Um, you know... D- it's rumored to be a maybe uh, troubled production. Uh, you know, it's shut down because Blake Lively got injured. So I think that that is sort of part of it. Anytime a production shuts down, oh, it's troubled. But, th- you know, this was kind of a, a significant injury to its leading lady. Um, but, yeah, I've heard Reen Moreno could be the director on the Benioff and Weiss movie. You know, would I would I write an article like legitimately like forget I, I'm always telling you guys don't write up things based I say on this podcast something like Justin Thoreau you know doing the Mosquito Coast I I'm, I kind of knew that was true um, and and wouldn't have minded if you had written an article about it I wouldn't go writing articles about this one that's how you know loose it is and and again you can you can Google it it, it has been out there she I think it she said that she'd had a meeting with with Kathy Kennedy or something like that but. I'm just saying Lucasfilm really needs to hire women. I mean, DC has hired women to direct. Marvel has hired women to direct. And Lucasfilm just cannot be left behind. You're going to see them hire a woman soon, whether it is Reed Moreno or somebody else. You know, the Benioff and Weiss movie, I think, is a pretty good candidate for it just because, you know, Ryan Johnson will probably end up directing his own Star Wars movie. And, Kevin Feige may turn to one of his more trusted guys, whether it's a Russo brother or John Favreau, or you know maybe get some other you know up and coming superstar who could very well be female for for that movie that he wants to do. But uh, but Benioff and Weiss, yeah, that is a plum assignment that is just sitting there. And I, I guess it sort of depends on on whether Rise of the Skywalker sticks the landing. But anyways, I got to get out of this room, guys. Dan, De- uh, Dennis needs to get in here. 
So, yeah, just keep an eye on Reed Moreno for that Benny and Weiss project. We'll see what happens. This has been the Snyder Cut. You can uh, find it on Apple Podcasts, Spotify. Tell a friend, tell a family member, tell a stranger, tell whoever you want. Follow me on Twitter at, at the Insnyder. Uh, and Instagram and Cameo and all that fun stuff. I'm sorry I didn't get to any of the questions that you guys asked on uh, on on Twitter. We'll, I'll try to do be, be better about that next time. Um, yeah, enjoy Joker. Let me know your thoughts. I thought it was great. You don't have to. We can agree to disagree. See you next Friday, guys. Stay little chico, pitbull, Mr. 305, better said Mr. Worldwide, and I'm here to tell you about my new podcast, From Negative to Positive, brought to you by my friends over at State Farm. I believe that to have success, you got to play the game so that the game doesn't play you. You know, the biggest risk you take is not taking one. It's very important that you make sure that you make the most out of your money, especially when it comes to insurance. State Farm offers surprisingly great rates. They have great agents standing by helping you personalize your coverage. All this is backed up by award-winning, easy-to-use technology. It's a great price with an even greater service. When you want the real deal, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Shop Black Friday week deals Sunday through Friday at Kohl's. Plus, get $15 Kohl's cash for every $50 spent and take an extra 15% off. Get the big one throws, $849. Toastmaster small appliances are just $214 after rebate. And Fitbit Versa 2 is $129.99. Plus, take 30% off Lego, 70% off fine jewelry, and save on boots for her, $16.99. Plus, get fast and free store pickup. Shop Black Friday week deals at Kohl's and Kohl's.com. Select styles offers valid November 22nd through the 27th. 15% off with promo code ENJOY15. Lego and Fitbit offers and coupons do not apply. Some exclusions apply. See store or Kohl's.com for details.